Hi, welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Now, do you think that that our listeners are going to know that we're recording this in a whole new way? I mean, ideally, they don't realize, except for the fact that maybe it sounds a little better. We're using a different <laughs> system, right? We're just using a slightly different system. A slightly different system that we think is going to sound maybe better, but maybe worse. Yeah, so maybe people can vote better or worse in terms there you go. of sound quality, right? <laughs> we'd, we'd, we'd like for you to vote, I, I guess. It's hard to vote worse. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's like worse would be if there was a chainsaw running in the back of each of our offices while we were recording it. But my favorite part of doing this thing is, like, let's face it. I mean, most of the people who listen to this, uh, there are kind of people. They've been around forever. They know what we're about. They they get what they're going to get. But every so often, we'll get, like, a new person who will come on there, and they'll send me, like, a screed of how terrible the quality is. Yeah. And and I just I, – I don't even know how to respond because they're totally right. And I just kind of – all I want to respond is – I, I'm sorry I wasted your time. I'm really – that's that's all I can say is from the bottom of my heart. I, if I had known you were going to listen to this for the first time, I would have told you don't do it. Here's don't. what I think we should do. How many of these do you think we've done? You know, it's funny. I was actually thinking about this the other day uh, for, for a completely odd reason. And I believe we've done close to 100 of these. If, really? if you, if, Yeah, yeah, because we go we go way back, as you know. Yeah, I mean, the, what I was going to suggest was we find some milestone anniversary. And yes, we literally rent a a professional recording studio. Okay, somewhere we get top line mics and earphones and recording equipment and mixers and all sorts of stuff. Hire like sound engineers. We like you hire like a professional crew that records music. Sure. And then we do one of these equally – it'll be equally stupid and pointless. <laughs> um, but we do one with, with just incredibly professional sound uh, and, and see and – just, just, just once, just to hear what it sounds like if you do it correctly. Sort of as a gift to, yeah. our, to our listeners. Or to ourselves. <laughs> or to ourselves. Yeah. Well, which are really our listeners. I love this. I yeah. love this. And I say that – the hundredth one is coming up and it, I'm not going to count them. So we'll just pick a day and make right. that the hundredth one. Uh, so something for, for podcast listeners to uh, look forward to. We've got the hundredth and hundredth show coming up at some point that we will determine. And uh, we'll do this. I, we'll do this in a professional, we probably should do it together. We should probably be in the same place. Yeah. Good call. Yeah. We should do it. We should go, we should fly to like, <laughs> we should fly to like, <laughs> The Abbey Road Studios. <laughs> we should fly to some very sacred and uh, hallowed hall where they've recorded yeah. great works of music and and or we should find where like you know um, I don't know where like some noble laureate recorded an audio book <laughs> of his or her work. Where Springsteen did Born to Run or yeah or, or, yeah where Dylan recorded uh, on the track. Blonde on Blonde yeah yeah. yeah. And yeah. we'll, and we'll do it there and, and we will uh, just absolutely tarnish whatever studio <laughs> we've chosen. It'll be, never be thought of the same way again. The great thing about the podcast for me is that uh, I, we have never have any idea what we're going to talk about. And, and it, it constantly amazes me how, how 
are really, I think, our unique talent for wasting time. I mean, we've just we've talked for three minutes about absolutely nothing. Yeah, just great. nothing. Yeah, it's so great. So, all right, before we go forward, uh, meant to do this last time. Uh, you know, I, I sh- I'm bad at this. Um, we have to we have to thank our sponsor, the Dollar Shave Club. They've been our sponsors. They, they've stuck with us through <laughs> through thick and thin, through us complaining about shaving. I, I don't know why they keep sticking with us, but. God bless those guys. Uh, so everybody that would imagine who has listened knows the deal. You order your your shaving stuff. They send you like a box of of, of razors, a little the little shaving. What would you call the handle stick shaving thing? Uh, I don't I don't know. <laughs> Let's all call it a handle. Let's call it a handle. I think a handle's good. Uh, you also and it's and it's cheap. They'll send you, and you and you're set for the month. You don't have to worry about it. Uh, you can just use your razors at will. Uh, it's it's very cool. I I do it. I like it. Uh, it is it has made my shaving uh, experience so much better. So much better. And have have you started? Have they gotten you your your shaving uh, no, stuff I yet? Have, I have not uh, started it yet. I think, and it, okay. they very kindly offered to send me a free sample, and that's very nice of them. And I haven't just kind of gotten back to them yet for the simple reason that doing anything really <laughs> to shaving is, makes me sad. So I just, it's literally just that. It's like I don't want to get involved with any process that leads to me having to shave. But but you do have to shave though. No, you ha- it, no man. It's not, I'm not saying it's logical. I'm just saying like that's the, <laughs> that's the reason that I haven't done it. I mean literally someone's offering me like a free razor, free anything. You should always say yes, right? Why not? Always. Always, I, I just and I haven't done it because I don't like the energy and the and the will to just type out like yes, please. Here is my address. Is too much for me when it involves when I know that the end result is a thing where I have to shave my face. You have to shave your face. Yeah, I'm thinking the only way we're going to get you to use it then is for somebody to to have the Dollar Shave Club box of of, of goodies sneak into your house. Yeah, and and replace the stuff that you already have with this stuff. Yeah, or just like chloroform me or something. <laughs> Rat, like put a, some ether on a rag and just put it over my nose, and then. And what if that was an option? What if the chloroform? <laughs> you know what? I would pay for that. I swear <laughs> to God, it, a properly vetted person, uh, a proper like a background. You do an extensive background check to make sure, sure. Uh, you know nothing, uh, no funny business, and then that person comes into your house at an appointed time and you shake hands and they 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 knock you unconscious <laughs> with an ether soaked rag and then while you're unconscious they just put shaving cream on your face and shave your face i would and then they just go away you le- you know you you have a like a you give them your credit card and they bill you once a month <laughs> <laughs> i wonder if that's the next business model for the dollar shave club for the dollar shave club sort of the dollar chloroform yeah, uh, shape club. Uh, yeah, I mean, granted, it's going to cost a little extra, right? There's the cost of ether and rags for one thing. Yeah, it's not going. It's, <laughs> it's not going to be cheap. I'm just thinking the ether and rags form. I mean, they probably could come up with a better way to do that, right? I mean, so oh, it's more use like there's something old timey about it. You know, it's like people get really fetishistic about like shaved razor, shaved blade razor. You know, like you go yeah. to like a barber. Yeah, that to me, by the way, that's like nightmare territory. Like, <laughs> You're just you're at you're, there's a guy holding a knife to your throat. That's what's happening. That's what you're paying for. 
Yeah. The point it's, is, ether-soaked rag, maybe that has a sort of old-timey, you know, 19th century feeling about it that might be kind of interesting. I don't know. I don't know. All right, so the Dollar Shave Club <laughs> is... <laughs> is I, I don't. Dollar Shave Club, by the way, uh, and <laughs> this will be the last time we get to do an ad for them, by the way. Um, <laughs> could you imagine the guy, he's listening over there at the Dollar Shave Club, hey, what did these guys come up with this week? They're talking about chloroforming people yeah. in order to well, shave. What they're thinking is like, guys, this is very simple, right? We're, we're, we're sponsoring your podcast. It's a, it's a good product. Just say you like the product. It should be 20 seconds. Just say you yeah. like the product and move on to the podcast. It's now been eight minutes and I'm talking about a guy <laughs> coming into my house, shaking my hand and shoving a rag over my nose that knocks me unconscious. That's not – you would I, let me formally apologize to the Dollar Shave Club. <laughs> <laughs> for leading us down this miserable path. And, and this is a real apology. This isn't like some no, sort of we're sorry if you were offended by no, our this chloroform. Is, this is a legitimate apology to a to a, a as far as I know, perfectly fine company that that just wants to help people. <laughs> they just want to help people. That's all they want. Yeah. They want to help us. They're they're sponsoring us. Use it in a way men need these products to shave their faces. <laughs> they made the product, they like what we do, apparently, for some reason. They were like, hey, how about this? We'll sponsor your podcast. <laughs> and imp- I, say, I would say tacitly implied in that agreement was that you won't talk about a representative of their company coming and knocking you out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think that was in the fine print. I think that was pretty much right up front. But this is why I'm, def- I'm, I'm saying that I'm sorry because in their defense, they should not have to specify that anyone <laughs> – they should that should not have to be in the in the contract language that I think it's implied legally speaking I think it's implied that you won't talk about someone coming to your house and knocking you unconscious <laughs> and using their product to shave using you their product, yeah yeah I I think that's I, you know by the way there's no question the Abbey Road people are on the phone now trying to yeah. get us to come out there and oh, do definitely. this definitely yeah they want every everybody wants us there <laughs> by the way uh, it's free if you type in. <laughs> Dollarshaveclub.com <laughs> slash podcast. That is free. No, it's not. By, by the time you hear this, it will not be free. By the time yeah. you hear this, if you use that, if you use podcast, it'll be like a 40% tax. Not, I think it'll actually like, just spam your computer. It'll probably yeah. just spam. They just send the cops to your house now. <laughs> if, you try to, if you try to associate our podcast with their product. So while, while uh, you know, and I mean, you probably have to do this in the next few minutes, uh, to yeah. be perfectly honest, uh, dollarshapeclub.com slash podcast, P-O-S-C-A-S-T, and you do get a month free, even despite Michael's uh, chloroform uh, side <laughs> track there, but which was great, which was great, by the way. All right, let's, you know what, let's talk some baseball. Let's, let's get away. Sure. Let's get away and talk some baseball. We want to talk. We're, we're, the, the faux argument is going to be something Cubs. We 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 were so lazy this week. We didn't even come up with like an actual thing to argue about. Um, so it'll be something Cubs. But before we before that, I, I do want to talk to you about this because I know you have strong opinions about this. We are talking on Friday. This is the day after the uh, somewhat epic, somewhat boring, somewhat long uh, Dodgers Nationals game. Um, which was uh, certainly exciting at the end. And and it really sort of solidified that this has become the postseason of the relief pitcher, right? I mean, the way people are using relief pitchers, and it began right from the start when when 
Buck Showalter did not use Zach Britton uh, in in a in a tie game and ended up losing without ever using his best pitcher. Um, what you saw as a as a Red Sox fan and I saw as a as a an Indians fan, um, the way Andrew Miller was sort of used as this like super weapon, basically yeah. whenever whenever he needed Andrew Miller, he just called Andrew Miller, which was cool. And and then last night we saw one, we saw Dusty Baker. Well, we th- there was the there was the Bruce Bochy bullpen meltdown uh, mm-hmm. in 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 that Cup series. And then last night we saw a real contrast where we saw Dusty Baker try to play the old fashioned matchup game and it didn't work out at all. Uh, and then we watched. Um, the Dodgers bring out their closer in the seventh inning with nobody out, let him go as far as they could. And then they brought, you know, Clayton Kershaw after he pitched game four. I mean, this is pretty cool. We're seeing sort of a, it's like you're watching the revolution sort of in fast motion. I think. I agree. I think no one should have been surprised by what Francona did because in 2004, he brought Keith Folk into the seventh sure. inning games and it worked out obviously then. And he's always been a guy who's, kind of believed uh, in special situations postseason that, in that in the postseason basically yeah in that sort of relief ace idea now obviously the caveat here is it's every one of these things as a one game small right. sample size so you can't really draw any conclusions but we have now seen two teams in advance bring in their strictly ninth inning really like three out guys sometimes four out guys but really three out guys into the seventh inning or earlier Miller Mm -hmm. pitched earlier in that series. And those teams have advanced again, obviously small sample size, but the, as many of those sort of like interesting signs as you see in terms of the way that these guys use them, the question becomes to me, why don't you do that in the regular season? And I know that it's 162 games. It's a long year. I know there's value in guys knowing their roles. I know that there's, you can't just, you can't go all out every game. Right of the whole season, it doesn't make a lot of sense to bring in Andrew Miller to the fifth inning of a, of an Indians, you know, uh, Brewers game in May. But it, I mean, you see the effectiveness of it. You like Kenley Jansen very secretly has some of the most insane stuff I've ever seen. That guy's it's incredible. It's incredible. He's like his basic sort of two seam fastball is it's like Mariano's. It's it, like Mariano, but it's faster. Insane, an insane tail away from right-handers and into lefties, and he throws it 96 instead of yeah. Mariano threw it 91, 92. Like, it does seem like, you know, you're in – it's June. There's a game you really want to win. Maybe your team has been skidding. You've lost three out of four, and you're facing a division rival. Why do you not do that once or twice a month in in June, July? Like, what what's it, when are we when are we going to see that? I guess is the question. Well, I think I think it's coming. I think it's coming. You know, it's funny. I'm doing a piece right now that that hopefully will be up by the time people uh, are listening to this um, on John Hiller, who was the Tigers' uh, fireman. That's what they called him, I guess, in the '70s. In 1973, he had maybe the greatest relief year ever. And nobody's ever, nobody's you know, non people who aren't either are, you know, my age or older or aren't insane baseball fans probably don't even know who John Hiller is, but he sort of was Billy Martin was the manager of that team. And he, he, that's he did. That's exactly what he did. Every single time that team was in trouble in any game, 
he would bring John Hiller in. That was, I mean, if there were men on, he'd bring him in. If it was, hey, you know, my starter is done and it's the sixth inning, he brought him in. Uh, he just brought him in again and again and again and again. And he was amazing and made that team way better than than they probably should have been. And and it sort of sparked this this period of time where that was the case, where you had your Goose Gossages and your Bruce Suiters and and Dan Quisenberries and and Kent Tacalvies and and guys like that. So we're not that distant from that. Now I don't think anybody's ever going to throw relievers like 150 innings, like Mike Marshall like things. I mean I don't think that's ever going to happen again. But I think. This postseason and and sort of just the way that thing has been going, I think we're going to start seeing more and more people kind of go away from the one inning close, which doesn't make any sense anyway, and and try some of this. Now it's harder in a long season, no question, but you know, I mean, I just think it's been stark. And sure, it could have worked out completely different. the The, the Orioles could have won. Um, when, because they had Zach Britton waiting for him, you know, after they scored a run and, and the giants could have closed out the Cubs, you know, matching up dusty could have gotten out of that inning with matchups. Those things could have happened, but I still think it's been pretty stark because those moves have looked sort of outdated when they were made and then they didn't work either. So I, I think we might be on a little bit of a, of a reliever revolution, which I think would be pretty cool, uh, because I, I've I've not liked the the one inning starter closer rather uh, for a long time. Well, I the, I wonder then whether you won't also begin to see a uh, a move away from we're up five to two. Right. We bring in the closer. You know, like right. maybe you, you maybe you bring in someone else. You rest your closer a little more, and then you bring in your second best reliever or your third best reliever to try to get some outs. You have your closer ready in case the guy gets into trouble or whatever. But, you know, taking some of the innings, uh, some of those like you don't really need this guy innings away from the closers might allow you to then employ them a little more under higher stress situations, maybe for a little bit longer uh, in the regular season. I, I mean, it is it is stark. The dip, There are two philosophies and you see both of them. There are teams that follow one philosophy and there are teams that follow a different philosophy. The weirdest thing that I think I saw in that game last night is, and Tom Lee wrote a piece on Deadspin about this exact thing, was Scherzer is pitching great. Yes. He's cruising along. I mean, he's not really cruising. He'd thrown almost 100 pitches, I think. He gives up a home run. To Jock, yeah, he gives up a home run to Jock Peterson and then he's just immediately gone. Yeah. And, you know, it's the, it's the, whatever it was, the, the seventh inning, you're at home. Sixth inning, yeah. Yeah, you're at home, and he's still throwing mid-upper 90s. It's not like he's, he's not gassed. It wasn't a terrible pitch. No, it wasn't. It was a guy who hit some home runs sometimes hit a home run off him. He threw a 95-mile-an-hour fastball, and the guy had a home run. That, to me, it's like, it was interesting because Dusty is the kind of guy who you would expect would leave him in in that situation that he's like a he's a little more I guess you'd say old school he's more of like this is our horse this is the guy who got us here all that stuff I was very surprised were you surprised as I was that he yanked him terrible uh, tremendously surprised I I mean surprised enough that my first thought was he went out to see him and Scherzer said I'm done yeah I'm hurt or I'm you know something because you know look I at one point early in the game, and and I don't want to, <laughs> you and I have had our fun with Harold through the years, but 
at, at one point early in the game, Harold Reynolds said something like, well, pitch counts are out the window today. Nobody's, nobody's thinking about pitch counts today. This is game five. And, you know, of all people, you would think Dusty, that would be 100% true. So when when he gets pulled with, I mean, he only had thrown 99 pitches and and he did have good stuff. And that wasn't like, it wasn't like he was wild and then and then he he gave up the home run on a terrible pitch. Jack Peterson just poked an opposite field home run off him, right? I mean, it was like a, it could happen at all times. Plus, he's he's susceptible to home runs. Scherzer has been that's sort of been the only thing that Scherzer has been uh, troubled with all year is that he's kind of susceptible to the home run. He gets the pitch a little bit up and and it's gone. Really, really surprised and really surprised when they brought in that sort of cavalcade of guys. I, I just didn't, I didn't get it. It's almost like, it's almost like there was panic. It, it felt like a panicky move to me. Yeah. It felt like over managing. Um, and the, yeah. in, by contrast, Roberts made two very decisive decisions, right? He said, this is the game right now. We had, we, right. they jumped out to a four, one lead the lead evaporated in a heartbeat. I mean, just so fast. Yeah. And it was like, all right, yeah. well, this is the game. So if this is the game and the season, then you bring in your best guy. He brought in his best guy who got them out of the jam with uh, almost no more. One more hit, I think he gave up in that inning, but no more runs. Right. Then he rode that guy for as long as he possibly could. And <laughs> before he, I mean, it was very much like Bumgarner in the World Series. He was like, hey, who is our next best guy at all, even even after pitching in Game 4? It's Clayton Kershaw, and I'm going right. to ride Kenley as long as I can, and then I'm going to count on Kershaw and what amounts to like a side session, a very high-leverage side session between starts. I'm going to rely on him for hopefully about eight pitches and see if he can get the last couple outs. And you know, again, it's, you know, we, we have the benefit of hindsight and things could have turned out really differently and Kershaw's had his problems in the postseason. But if Roberts loses that game, to me, what he says is, I will take Kenley Jansen and Clayton Kershaw a hundred times out of a hundred in those situations. To, I'd rather lose with those guys than with, with, than feeling like I left them, I was trying to overly protect them or something. And that is the thing that Buck Showalter can't say, right? He can't say, I pitched my best guys, it didn't work out. And I feel like, as I remember this from Francona managing the Red Sox, is many, many, many times when they lost, I felt like, well, it didn't work out. You know, it was like it, they, they, he did his, he, he, he played the best guys in the, in the right way, the way that made sense, and it didn't work out. That's baseball. But I, and that's ultimately, as a fan, I think all you could ever ask for is that you feel like your manager has a plan and that the plan makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I think the one thing that people, to me, sort of miss about second guessing, for instance, is I, I don't think you're second guessing. It's not even a question of timing. I mean, obviously, they're second guessing like, no, I said it before it ever happened. You can do all that whole thing. But to me, if somebody can defend the decision in a way that you go, yeah, okay, I get it. I get that. I get. I get what you're saying. I, I might not agree with what you're saying, but I get it. I I totally get it. So if 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 Dave Roberts, if they lose that game, which could have happened, certainly, Dave Roberts goes. You know what? Seventh inning of a game that uh, we were up uh, a run, and they had runners on base, and I said, 
I am not going to pitch anybody but my best pitchers for the rest of this game if I can do it. And that's it. That was my decision. And I realized the risks of going with Canley Jansen. I mean, I've not seen a pitcher that toasted, you yeah. know, honestly. In that ninth inning, I mean, it was he was done. I, I couldn't actually believe he, he had him face those last two batters because he was done. Um, so he goes, all right, I went with our best our best reliever. You know, and 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 then I went with our best pitcher and the guy we think is the best pitcher in baseball. And yes, Kenley Jensen could have absolutely given up uh, a two run bomb and we could have lost because because he was toast. Uh, yes, Kershaw was coming off a one day rest and he could have been wild or he could have given up, you know, home run or whatever. But that was the chance I was willing to take. Get it. What does Dusty say? What is what does Dusty say? I just wanted to match up in the sixth inning of of this game. I mean, what what is the what do you what do you look back on as you face your long winter? What do you look back on and say, yeah, that was my thinking, and my thinking really it's logical even if it didn't work. So I don't I think that's where that's where Buck Showalter has such a long long winter. I mean, that to me is the long winter. It's like, look, you can, you can say all you want to say and you can snap at all the reporters you want to snap at. And, and Buck is, is a, you know, a baseball savant and knows a billion times more than I'll never know. But when he's alone thinking about that game, he knows he left his best pitcher in the bullpen, uh, for a one game playoff. And his version of sort of an MO is, it is obviously we need to, to win the game. We need to take the lead and we need to hold the lead. Right. Right. And so at a certain point, what he's, his defense becomes and the defense of anyone who thinks that way becomes, it sure. was a, what if scenario, the, what if right. is we, we score a run and we have to hold the lead. And the flaw in that reasoning, obviously I'm far from the first person to say this is, before you get to that what if situation, you're in a current situation. And right. that situation is if you give up a run here, it is impossible to get to that what if situation. So it, to me, it has always seemed clear, and we, you and I texted about this. This is what was so good about Joe Torre in the postseason. Yes. He worked backwards from the current scenario. He said, I need to win this inning and this matchup right now. So I am going to pitch my best pitcher, Mariano Rivera, now. And then if we get if the game lasts another inning and we get to that what if situation, I'll deal with that then. But there it it doesn't make any sense to hold back in order to play for the future when if you don't when it doesn't work the present doesn't work out, there is no future. It just that's what you know what's interesting about this is there's a there's a sort of logical fallacy that comes into play with penalty shootouts in soccer. Where when the best players in on soccer teams don't go early and then the other team wins, people are like, how could you not have Cristiano Ronaldo take right. that penalty shot? But it's a different scenario because penalty shootouts are, are five sets of two kicks each. And unless you truly believe that scoring – unless you truly believe in like the pressure being put on the other team as a huge factor – it kind of doesn't matter. You have to win each of those matchups. You have to win one more of those matchups than the other guy does. 
right? So it's like it doesn't matter as much as it does in, in say, baseball where if the Blue Jays score, the game is over. It's like if you're doing a penalty shootout and the other guy scores a goal, okay, well, now you have to score a goal. You have a chance to basically tie every time. And it, it's like there is a certain amount of just like logic and reasoning and math that comes into play in addition to what is obviously a complicated set of circumstances about the specific guys and how tired they are and how, what their mindsets are and what their mentalities are and all that sort of stuff, what you would call the human element, I guess. Um, <laughs> but, it, but I just – that's why like you always prefer to be a fan of a team where the manager operates from – there's no – there's not, it's not even that there's no tomorrow. There's no next three minutes unless we get out of this right. situation. So I'm going to pitch the best guys in my bullpen in reverse order of how good they are and go as long as I can. Well, look, I mean, I think that the the uh, soccer shootout uh, is a great scenario. So you're guaranteed five shots each, okay? I mean, assuming you don't already get beaten. But after five, it's sudden death. So right. basically what you're saying is you you're kicking second – and in your mind, and, and this is not illogical, you would say in your mind, the 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 most pressure packed kick is not the one to tie; it's the one to win, right? So I would want to save my best uh, my best remaining player um, for when their guy misses. That would be that's the same logic that, that Buck Showalter is having. I want my Ronaldo. Of course, Ronaldo would have already kicked, but I want my Ronaldo. To, to go when their guy misses because then he's the only one in my mind that can handle the pressure of making the game-winning kick. But that's that's your fallacy. Then their guy makes it and you don't put your best guy out there and you lose. And that's yeah. that's exactly, I mean, that's the exact logic of it. But I also think it's it really comes down to what makes you successful as a manager in the, in the regular season is, is is not necessarily, in fact, in, in, it almost certainly is not uh, the same strategy that's going to make you successful in the postseason. It was, it's the Bobby Cox thing. It's like Bobby Cox's loyalty to his players was was a certainly a major major factor in them winning a billion consecutive you know division championships and all of that, and being the this this incredible team for fifteen years. But when they got to the postseason. That wasn't as good, it, you know. And if those guys pitched great, like they did in '95 against Cleveland, okay, you win your one World Series. But the rest of the time, he, he, he. I don't think that he could get into that mindset of, all right, you know what? Everything else goes out the window. I got to get through this inning. I got to get through this at bat. That's interesting. I never thought of the. It would be interesting to go back and do a thorough analysis of all of Bobby Cox's postseason decisions. <laughs> Um, yeah. And by interesting, I mean incredibly boring to everyone except for like <laughs> you and me. Uh, but yeah, I wonder how much – because that is – it is one of the weirdest things in baseball that with those pitchers and with that, you know, with that many consecutive division titles, it's obviously a weird, fluky thing that they only won one World Series right. in a strike-shortened season. <laughs> um, but – I wonder how much of it, if you went back and did like a really complex win probability added blah, 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 like forensic analysis of all of the, you know, times when he left guys in too long or took them out too early or whatever it was, where you could wonder, you know, you could play the what if game so many times over those 15 years 
uh, you know, it would be interesting to see like how he, how a different manager would have managed those postseasons. Yeah, it's almost like you should have a separate, like a postseason manager. Like that, oh. you just you just bring in like a relief manager. Well, you, you know, know, my friend. So my friend Dave King has this thing about the NFL. We may have talked about this before, but I re, I think it's a legitimately good idea. And the idea is that you have on your coaching staff a, a what amounts to a clock coach, and the clock right. coach's only job is to stand near the head coach and tell the head coach when to take timeouts and when <laughs> not to take timeouts. And when to like make challenges and when not to make challenges. You know what I mean? Like right. there's right. three minutes and four seconds left and you're down by four and the other team has the ball and it's second and 10 and the guy and their running back runs into the line to run out the clock and you tackle the guy at 259. The guy says, here's what you do right now. Like right now, call timeout or don't call timeout. But this, but if you don't call timeout, the second the next play ends, you have to call timeout because then the punt will get off and we'll be able to fair catch it before the two-minute warning, which means we'll get an extra timeout. Like, they, And I, I honestly believe with the number of things that NFL head coaches have to think about that that person would be incredibly valuable on it. Don't you think? Oh, like, I, it, it, would, they, no would, it would make a, a huge difference in that game. Well, I, I think head coaches, and, and this has been to me proven again and again and again, they're terrible at this. They're yeah. just terrible at it because they don't have time to think about that. They've they've got a million things going on. But of course, they would never give up that power, right? But but to me, that is you know give them give them challenges, give them time, and and give them you know some some sense of of you know the game. You know the game. You know, hey, we need to really you know go into to a hurry up type you know mindset here or we you know really need to you know just give them a sense of like the the rhythm and speed of the game um because that's all they're thinking about you know this the coach is thinking about you know a million things going on i I, i'm all for it plus they're already 12 trillion coaches right Right. so you know tell them when to go for two and not go for two there's a guy whose job it seems to be to just make sure that people don't trip over the wire (laughs) <laughs> right the coming off of the headphones like just make it that guy find a guy who can both move wires out of the way of people's feet and also knows a lot about clock management that's awesome that would be so great like hey, what are you doing uh, today well i uh, i'm you know the last couple minutes got to make sure we're on and also we don't want anybody tripping somebody <laughs> could get hurt somebody yeah. could get hurt i am the assistant head coach <laughs> in charge of foot related Tangling accidents and clock management and clock management and two point conversions. I de- I, de- I decide when we do those. All right, you know what? We've completely wasted all of our time here, so we don't really have time to even go into the Cubs foe argument, except to just say very quickly, it's laid out for the Cubs, right? It's totally late. They're the best team. The Dodgers are coming in pretty wounded and beat up and 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 Kershaw who the heck knows when he'll he might pitch game one for all I know but when he's going to pitch and and their whole rotation is sort of out of whack and Jansen is is out of whack it's it's laid out for the Cubs right well I think yeah it it is and I know Cubs fans don't want to hear that they don't want to hear that but they're they're, they've had more rest they're starting at home they each of their four Four of their excellent five starters each only pitched once. 
uh, in their series, so none of them are burned. Um, they, they're not hitting quite as well as maybe I think they wish they, they, or they, they feel like they should be. I, they, they, sure. they escaped game one with a single solo homer in the eighth inning or whatever it was. They never really they needed kind of a miracle in game four. They needed a miracle in game four. Uh, you know, they, they were, look, they were facing a, a pretty good, at least starting pitching staff and Cueto yes. pitched great and, uh, you know, whatever, but, but I feel like that's the – if you were uh, looking to be pessimistic, you would say that right now their lineup doesn't seem to be super clicking. And the Dodgers have a pretty good bullpen. And, you know, it's not going to be easy. But they're starting a NLCS at home. The biggest thing is and, – and also, again, Kershaw I don't think can pitch game one. I can't imagine that happening. No, no. So the, everything is lined up. Um, and the, the biggest thing is that it does feel like – they have the right coach, and they have the right group of young players who could not care less about all <laughs> of the nonsense that it comes with playing for the Cubs in the postseason. Again, making a 2004 analogy, which I know I do a lot, th- that's what you need. You just need a bunch yeah. of guys. You need a bunch of Jorge Solares and Chris Bryans who could not care less about the dumb goat and the dumb this and the dumb that, <laughs> who are just like who are just insane athletes. Uh, who are who love to hit and field and catch? And by the way, you said this I think a, a couple weeks ago. There is no I don't know that I've seen a better defensive team all the way around the diamond. They're and insane. They're, they're insane. insane. You know that Rays team from a few years ago was amazing, and and there have been other teams that have had you know incredible infields and stuff. But my goodness, the plays, the impossibility of getting a ball on the ground through that infield. It's, it's just I it's I I I think it's the best defensive team I've ever seen I, and that's obviously anecdotal but man oh man I, it's so fun to watch those guys. Well, there are statistics that 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 are there. I mean, you know, the the defensive efficiency rating which is very simply uh number of balls put into play that are turned into outs. I mean, they're the best in 30 40 years. I mean, they're the best since the 69 Mets. I mean, to give you to give you a sense. So, um yeah, look, I think it's statistic, but I think it's you watch them. I mean, I don't want to, you know, I'm not a big eye test guy, but you watch them, you can't get a hit against them. You just can't yeah. get a hit. I mean, it's like you hit the ball hard and it's an out. It's just, it's, it's really, they're fun to watch. And I, and what's so fun about it is that just kind of happened. That, I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm not saying that they weren't keeping their eye on the ball and they wanted good defensive players, but they were looking for, Sluggers. I mean, that's yeah. that was a team built around offense, and in the process, they built this incredible. Baez, what a oh my, God. what a player! Just <laughs> what a player! It's amazing. It's, it's amazing because I mean, mid year they were talking about him being a bust. Mid year yeah. this year, yeah. And now you watch that guy, and you're like, that guy's going to win like an MVP someday. I mean, I wonder. Incredible. I honestly wonder if, in some weird way, if the Schwarber injury wasn't ultimately net positive for them because he's obviously a great hitter and a great right. power hitter and he had an incredible postseason last year but their defense in the outfield is now definitely better than if he were yes, playing and that and the team kind of took on that identity and and with you know they've got some fly ball pitchers on that team and they they also any line driver fly ball to the outfield is tracked down like they they yeah that's another thing I it's like and they have enough other good hitters they've got obviously 
power guys everywhere. So I wonder if in a crazy way it, it wasn't a good thing for them long term that he that Schwarber got injured. I mean, who knows? Uh, they might be just as good, if not better, if he were still playing. But yeah, it's all it, it is all laid out. And if you're not it's a all. fan of the Dodgers, the Indians, or the Blue Jays, and you're not rooting for the Cubs, I don't <laughs> understand you. I just don't. You're a Cardinals fan. That's what's happening. You're just a Cardinals even, fan. I, I don't know, man. I get it, obviously. Yes, if you're a Cardinals fan, or even if you're like a Brewers fan who just hates all the other teams in your division or whatever. <laughs> but come on. This is history. It's a, we have a chance for history. It doesn't happen that often. And the weird – are you rooting – last question. Are you rooting for or against a Cubs-Indians World Series? I, of course, it, it, it's, it's, it's a complicated question. Right. I, it's very complicated. Of course I'm rooting for uh, an Indians-Cubs World Series. And, of course, if it comes to that, I will have no choice but to root for the Indians. Um, but it won't be – it won't be whole – I mean, I'll just – I love this Cubs team. I want this Cubs team to win the World Series. I want that Cubs thing to be over with. Uh, I have so many friends who are Cubs fans. So I'd have really mixed emotions about it. But, yeah, I'm still rooting for it. I think uh, someone asked me what would happen, because I've been on the Cubs bandwagon for years now. And somebody, a friend of mine, asked me what would happen if the Red Sox faced the Cubs in the World Series. My answer was I would root for the Red Sox because I will always root for the Red Sox, but it's literally sure. it's literally fifty one forty nine, like it's the least yeah, amount right. that I would ever root. It's the most I would ever root against my own team. But I will say this: that's different. I mean, the Cubs, the the Red Sox have won a billion World Series now. the The Indians have not won since forty eight. Right. So it is a little bit different. There is there is sort of a Cleveland sense, like, hey, we've suffered too. You know, although yeah. I can't really feel that after the LeBron stuff. So, you know, I'd love to see it happen. I, I don't, you know, particularly uh, think they're good enough to beat the Blue Jays. Um, I think the Blue Jays hitting is is should win out. But you know what? I, I really thought that the Red Sox series was I didn't think they were going to win that Red Sox series. So that that team has really surprised me. And by the way, you want to talk about a player who is so wonderful and fabulous. Um you're looking at at your Cleveland Indians shortstop. I mean, oh my gosh, is he a good player? Yeah, and another like, how do you do what you do? Like, I don't exactly. Like, watching him move laterally is one of the most exciting <laughs> plays in baseball. It's He's like, incredible. And you, know, yeah, I was telling somebody this. I think I think for, we're talking about Francisco Lindor, and I think Lindor is right now sort of what the mythology of Derek Jeter was. It's like he's he just changes the whole dynamic of the game. He's a good hitter. Uh and and so he's not he's probably not as good a hitter as, as Jeter in his prime. Um although he's only 22 years old. But as a fielder, it's it's he just cuts the field in half. You cannot hit it to that side of the field. It's staggering how good he is. There's a lot of there's a lot of really wonderful young players still left there are season. and it's a, it's very exciting like it's it feels you know who knows if the dodgers play the blue jays in the world series no one's gonna watch it <laughs> except for people <laughs> in la and toronto but but it's a shame because the, on all on all four teams there are like really wonderful young 
guides. Oh yeah. I hope you know that's it's very exciting because I feel like some of them just by the laws of averages have to emerge and we'll have great series uh, and people will know who they are. That's great. It's going to be great. All right. Well, we've we've done our damage here. So uh, uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. 